Our second scripture reading for today is from the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Do you not know that any race the runners all compete, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win it. Athletes exercise self-control in all things. They do not, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, nor do I box as through the beating the air, but I punish my body and enslave it so that after proclaiming to others, I myself should not be disqualified. Here ends the reading of the second scripture for today, the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Although Sherry and I moved from Pennsylvania way back in 1982, I continued to be interested in things uh, about Pennsylvania. And I read a book called Pennsylvania Ghost Towns. Pennsylvania Ghost Towns. And I'd like to share with you uh, about one of those uh, towns, ghost towns. It's uh, Centralia, Centralia, Pennsylvania. Uh, it was founded in uh, 1841, and it was built on one of the richest veins of anthracite coal in the entire state. And the town grew steadily uh, until 1962. And... Uh, Having grown up in the 50s and 60s, I know how this happened. Uh, there was a dump on the edge of town, and people dumped their stuff, their trash. And we had a dump not too far from our house. So I know what dumps were like. It's back before there were regulations on, you know, collecting trash. And, and now, of course, it's illegal to just dump stuff anywhere you, you want to. But So they had this uh, big dump with all kinds of stuff in it. So they decided to get the fire department together one day, and they decided just to burn as much of that stuff as they could with the fire department uh, close by. That's what they did. They set it on fire, and whenever they used kerosene or whatever to get the thing going, and they burned up quite a bit of it. And the fire department extinguished all the flames that they could at the end of the day. Well, guess what? Two days later, the dump was on fire again, all on its own all on its own. And guess what? The fire company couldn't put it out. Couldn't put it out. What had happened is that the fire had smoldered in this dump and it smoldered down into the ground and it caught the anthracite coal vein on fire. And they decided that the fire was burning at a thousand degrees Fahrenheit down in that vein of anthracite coal. Well, they had a problem. And they realized that what they should have done, they should have gone through the challenge, they should have gone through all the trouble of taking all that garbage and trash out of the dump site, putting it in a, a big container and burning it in a big container. That's what they should have done, right? But no, we Americans, we like a quick fix, right? We love quick fixes. <laughs> you know, we like to do things as handy as possible. Quick and easy stuff. Burn it. 
Just burn of it as much of it as you can in one day, and we're all set. We're, we're good, right? We're good. Well, no. They couldn't put the fire out. And uh, so the, the Centralia went from having about 1,100 residents in 1962 to where today you're not allowed to live there. You're not allowed to live there. It's illegal. Uh, the state of Pennsylvania had determined that it would cost the state $660 million to put out that fire. So what the state did is just bought the town, <laughs> just bought all the property up. Uh, it cost $50 million to do that. Uh, this, the town today is described as hell on earth. Smoke rises out of the ground from many locations. There's noxious gases floating around in the air. And in 1981, a person actually fell through the earth and created a hole. And in the underground drew in the air around the person, uh, creating a wind and actually whipped him around in this hole. Fortunately, someone was close by, grabbed him at the last moment before he fell deeper into that pit, would have died. So the Centralia city officials, again, by failing to put time, energy, money into a longer term but effective solution to a problem, they created a bigger problem that literally destroyed their entire town. That happens a lot in life, doesn't it? Refusing to delay our gratification in solving a problem often creates much greater problems than we're dealing with in the first place. The first time I heard the phrase delay of gratification was in college in a psychology class. You know, most problems in life, most challenges, most ambitions do not have a quick, simple, easy solution. No easy paths to success. No simple one, two, three step solution. We would love it if life was like that, wouldn't it? Just boom, 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 and everything's cool, right? Wouldn't that be great? Doesn't work that way, does it? It doesn't work that way. So the Apostle Paul speaks of athletes in the passage that Charlie read for us today. You know, athletes have a very, very clear goal, right? They want to win. Not with paper plates or, or uh, <laughs> cotton balls. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> thanks again, James. But no, athletes want to win. They want to win. They want to win the race. They want to win the game. They want to gain the prize. But they know in order to win, what do they got to do for a long time? To be winners. Practice, 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 deny themselves, deny themselves, deny themselves, deny themselves of comfort, ease, and other gratifications. They got to get out of bed early in the morning, whether they feel like it or not. They got to get to the swimming pool, or they got to get to the gym. They got to get on the track. They got to push themselves, push themselves, push themselves to be in better shape to be more skilled in their sport. They know that if they fail to do that, chances are, what? They're gonna lose. 
because their competitors are out there, you know, working just as hard, if not harder than them. And if they don't, if they don't over time, day after day, week after week, uh, delay uh, gratification, they're probably not going to win. You know, you know the old saying, what? No pain, no gain. No pain, no gain. I was raised with that phrase. No pain, no gain. But we live in a culture that is continually encouraging us to do the complete opposite. Hey, satisfy yourself. Seek immediate satisfaction with whatever wants and desires you have. We are exposed all the time to many desire-inducing advertisements, right? Obesity, sexual promiscuity, skyrocketing debt are just a few of the signs of our continually giving in to these inducements. Often, so often, we need to delay current gratifications in order to gain greater gratifications. Oh, we want gratification. Nothing wrong with having gratifications. But to have greater gratifications, we need to delay the gratification today, this moment. Psychiatrist M. Scott Peck, in his book, The Road Less Traveled, writes, delaying gratification is a process of scheduling the pain and pleasure of life in such a way as to enhance the pleasure by meeting and experiencing the pain first and getting it over with. It is the only decent way to live, end quote. And the Bible is continually urging believers to exercise self-control and discipline concerning our wants and our desires. Peter, in one of his epistles, urges us to supplement our faith with what? Self-control, steadfastness. And he says to do that with diligence. Be diligent about self-control, self-discipline. That's what we need to be diligent about in life, not diligent about satisfying our next whim, our next uh, gratification. And traditionally, the Christian life has been marked by, by letting go of our, our personal desires, whatever they may be, and submitting to a spiritual mentor or a community, learning to take up our cross, deny ourselves, delay the gratification. Shepherds guided believers through formative and corrective disciplines, most of them activities we would never choose to engage in if left to ourselves. But these values of mentoring and spiritual formation, they're simply not championed in a consumer culture. They don't prove popular among church shoppers seeking a comfortable religious experience. Give me a comfortable religious experience, right? I'm afraid that's where a lot of folks are today. Comfortable religious experience. Don't ask me to do anything. Don't talk to me about my money. Don't challenge me here. Don't challenge me there. A comfortable religious experience. You know where that gets churches? 
Nowhere. Nowhere, really. Nowhere in the community. Nowhere for the future of their church. Take up your cross, Jesus says. Follow me. Whatever that uh, challenge may be, whatever that difficulty may be, that's the way to greater greater gratification. Yeah, nothing wrong with gratification. Nothing wrong to be experiencing gratification. It's just how much of a gratification do we really want out of life? This is uh, this is what we need to deal with. The sad fact is that many Christians we settle for far less, far less than what God wants to give us. God wants to give us so much more. We settle for less than what he wants to give us. We settle for the quick fix when God has great blessings for us if we are willing to patiently trust him for them. C.S. Lewis wrote about this. He said, quote, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drinking and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased." End quote. And the writer Sky Dethathan writes, the dilemma posed by consumerism, including the Christian variety, is not the endless manufacturing of desires, but the temptation to settle for desires far below what we were created for. The forces of marketing have captured our imaginations and convinced us to desire mud pies and sneer at the possibility that even greater pleasures exist. We have been reprogrammed to desire immediate satisfaction rather than infinite satisfaction. We do not desire too much. We desire too little. We desire too little. And who is our example of someone who desired all that God had for him in spite of all the trouble of getting it? Jesus. In the book of Hebrews, we read, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He despised its shame. He has sat down at the right hand of the Father. For the joy of having you and me with him for eternity, for the joy of sitting at the right hand of the Father, what all did Jesus endure? What all gratification did he lay aside in his life? A lot. A lot. He gave his life. He gave his life. Because he wanted the greater joy. Not to just the comfort that comes with sitting with whoever. No, he wanted to sit next to the Father. When Jesus told his followers to take up their crosses daily, follow him, he could have, he could have just as easily said, 
delay current gratifications for, for greater rewards in the future. Don't settle for so little today. Only settle for the far greater gratifications of the future that come only after the struggles of today. I believe that Jesus' greatest gratifications were seeing people enter into the kingdom of God. They were seeing people embrace the gospel and follow him. Seeing people truly love God by trusting and obeying God. Seeing people become laborers in the harvest of souls. Seeing people love their neighbors as they love themselves. That excited Jesus. That was his gratification for all the sacrifice, for all the trouble was to see the kingdom of God at work in people's hearts and minds and through their lives. That's, that was the gratification. It should be our gratification. There is absolutely nothing that you can do for another human being that help them see the kingdom of God in and through your life. There's nothing greater you can do for a person. Let them see the kingdom of God in and through your life. You're loving God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're loving your neighbor as yourself. Because the gratification you're going to get in living that way will be so great, will be so awesome in the kingdom of heaven. And I think that's part of what heaven's going to be about. You know, the Bible talks about crowns. We're going to be given the book of Revelation talks about crowns. What, what, what would that be? I think the crowns in heaven... This is just my interpretation now. I'm, this is not, I'm not taking this directly out of the Bible. This is my interpretation. The crowns in heaven will be the understanding of the part we played in helping others get to heaven. I think that'll be the crown of heaven. And I think God will allow us to have those memories. Won't have the bad memories, all the ugly memories. No, they'll be gone, dead, gone forever. But I think he'll have us, allow us to have the the. The, the joyful memories. You know, on my mother's, my mother was a Rogers. My mother, my mother was a Rogers. And on her side of my family, back in the 1500s, there was a William Rogers, who I'm di directly related to through my mother. You know how he died, William Rogers? He was burned at the stake because he worked with a man named William Tyndale, translating the Bible from Latin into English, which was against the law at the time. And he got in trouble and he burned him. He burned him at the stake. And I think about my great, 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 great ancestor. If I was faced with a moment when I had to decide, do I give up Jesus? To, to not go to some death? Or do I hold to Jesus and my life's taken? What would I do? Would I be brave enough, be faithful enough as my, my, my great-great-grandfather, William Rogers? I don't know. But he really gave it all. He, gave, he, he was married, had 10 children, 10 or 12 children. But he wouldn't back away. He wouldn't recant what he, he said he believed about Jesus. He, he wouldn't fit in to what uh, the religious leaders at the time were calling him to fit into. Uh, you know, we're, we're looking at the Olympics right now. 
And, you know, I was thinking at the Olympics, there are basically three groups of people. There are the athletes, of course. Then there are all the people working at the Olympics, you know, the press and all those people having to do this and do that. And then there are a few observers. I know there's not many observers, are there? Because of COVID-19, there's not many observers. But it struck me as I thought about that. You know, we, we are all athletes. We, we are not simply to be observers of life. We're not just to sit back and watch what's happening. We're to make things happen. We're on the field. We're running. We're struggling. It's hard. It's not easy. But our attitude should be, let's win. Let's win by sharing as much of the kingdom of God as we possibly can with others. That's winning. That's what Jesus did. He won. He didn't come to earth to just observe what was going on or be comfortable. The Apostle Paul, Peter, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, my great, 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 great grandpa. No, they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to leave this planet having made a real difference. They were athletes. They were dedicated. And so that's my prayer for myself. Because you know, you know who your own your own worst enemy is in life? You probably all know this already. You figured this out. You've been around long enough. You know who your own worst enemy is in life? Yourself. Exactly. It's yourself. It's 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 our own appetites. We're gonna let our own personal appetites win, or we're gonna let God's plan for us win in life. And that's where the glory is. That's where the gratification is, to follow the Lord. So what if I get my way or not, or I have my, my own comforts or whatever? And I love my comforts. You can ask my wife. I love my comforts. We all do. But my own worst enemy, your own worst enemy is yourself in living out this life. Does our faith make a difference in our own lives, first of all, and then in the world? Amen. Amen.